with John 20 today, beginning at verse 1. Will you pray with me as we listen to this story that many of us know very well? Lord Jesus, this, this word that we will hear today has so much to offer us. Uh, first and foremost is the living out or the, the, the story of how you became the firstborn of the dead, of what we look forward to after our death, and in particular, um, as we live in this place, what we look forward to for those whom we love, whom we have lost. And in particular, we want to just hold up for a moment those who this is the first Easter without a loved one. And so we think of Norma as she remembers Bob, of Mike as he remembers Cheryl, and of Eric Burton as he remembers his mom who passed away last week. That these words will be words of comfort and of hope for that reuniting that we look forward to, and that they will also be words of of challenge and hope for us today as we think about the ways in which the reaches of your resurrection are not just in the distant future, but are also in the here and now within us, awaiting us in a daily dying and rising invitation from you. So let us hear that word today, Jesus. Let us see and become aware of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hear the story again with me. <clears throat> Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. This particular version of the resurrection story raises so many questions for me. It makes me so curious about the ways that it's different from the other accounts. Mary Magdalene is the only constant among all of the four gospel accounts besides the fact that Jesus was risen. And so as we go through the story with Mary we see what this story has to offer. Mary goes to the tomb, for instance, and she doesn't go in the tomb, but she sees that the stone has been rolled away and she assumes that the grave has been robbed. What is she basing that assumption on? The first thing I'm curious about. She doesn't go inside. She doesn't look inside when she first comes upon the tomb. What is she basing that on? Where are the other women that we're told are with her in the other gospel accounts? Why does she go back to the disciples? And why does she go to these two disciples, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know in the gospel of John, is John? Why? And John arrives back first to the tomb, but why doesn't John go in to the tomb? Why doesn't John go in alone? Whereas Peter, whom we all love because Peter is the one who just kind of does whatever is in him, heads straight into the tomb, even though he's second there. He doesn't wait to follow John. He just goes in. And he sees what John saw up close, the cloth and the wrappings lying there in a weird way. And what is it that John believes when he sees those wrappings and those claws. Many of us have this wishful think, thinking that he believes that Jesus is resurrected at that point. But he goes home without saying a word. Is that what you do when you think Jesus rose from the dead? When Mary has brought you to the tomb because she thinks it's been robbed, you don't tell Mary, no, no, I think it's this. He and Peter leave and go home without saying a word to Mary who brought them there. And that's when Mary, while she weeps, finally breaking down, looks into the tomb and she sees what John saw, those claws lying there. But she sees more than what John saw. She sees these angels. Why didn't John see the angels? 
an angel at the head of where Jesus' head was lying, and an angel where Jesus' feet were. And she's still not in the tomb. She's just looking in. And the angels say, why are you weeping? And she's not even startled or surprised. She responds to them. Where is my Lord? Where is he laying? She just says the truth of what she's wondering, of what she's sad about. And when she does that, There's somebody else outside the tomb waiting for her who asks her again, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? This question that's asked more than once by Jesus, who or what are you looking for in the Gospel of John? But Mary doesn't recognize this man who has asked her this question as her Savior. He does not, she does not recognize that this is Jesus, the one whom she is looking for. Why doesn't she recognize him? And why does it take him showing that he knows her by calling her name for her to see through her sorrow and sadness that it is Jesus? That beyond her wildest expectations of what she would find, it is Jesus alive. The one whom she watched die. Alive. And then there's this startling, startling end to their their reuniting. As Jesus says to her, we got things to do. Don't hold on to me. I've got to ascend, and you've got to go tell people what you've seen. we got things to do. But know this. I'm going to my father, and he's your father. My God is your God. Speaking these words of the final step of our reconciliation with God to her. Speaking these words that seals through his resurrection, everything that has led up this week to this point. The one she mistakes for the gardener, the one whom she pleads to have Jesus back from, is who she has been looking for. And I think that all of these curious pieces to the resurrection story give us a greater understanding. They help us to sit with this story in such a way that we can truly begin to mine the depths of the reaches of the resurrection. That this is not just about what will come when we die, but there is power and purpose to the resurrection in this life now as we live That every Sunday when we gather together, we are celebrating a mini-resurrection. As we heard this morning, this is the first holiday that the Christian church started to celebrate. This is the reason why we come to church on the first day of the week instead of the old Jewish Sabbath, the last day of the week. Because this resurrection story is a transformative 
act of God that continues to reverberate in all the world, and we want to be in that story. We want to be people who come together to hear and be reminded that when Jesus said, my God is your God, my Father is your Father, that we belong. And not only do we belong to him, but he also says, we got stuff to do, now go. Go, tell people about me and what you have seen. Tell people about me and what you have learned about yourself. Tell people how I have changed and how you have changed because of me. Tell people this good news. That's what we come together on Sunday to be reminded of, to be rooted in, to be guided by, in word, in deed, and in worship. And I think that there's something powerful about the fact that it's, it is Mary on her own, but it is also the community that she has been traveling with and being present to, that Jesus formed around himself. That when we face hard things and our greatest fears, the biggest challenges of our lives, it's okay to go call upon some friends to come back with you. That when we are looking in the face of darkness, it is good for us to not be alone. And that as we do hard things, it is good to gather people to be present with us as we bear ourselves to the truth, as we face what we don't want to see, as we fear and try to learn what is so. But notice, too, how it is not the people who help Mary understand that it is God who reveals himself. It is God who makes himself known to her and helps her to understand who she is. And so, yes, we gather as a community in the hard times. But it is Jesus who does this work inside of us that actually leads to our transformation. So yes, we gather together, but be not afraid when the people who you have gathered together let you, let you down and they go home without saying a word to you. Be not afraid to stay present to the things that need to die. Because if you do, like Mary did, who stayed there and wept, who did not follow John and Peter back to their homes, but stayed there and was honest about what was making her sad and weep, you'll see something that others do not the angels who strengthened Jesus might proclaim to you the good news that he has come, that he is here, that he is not dead, that he is alive, and his power is present in your midst. His power is present in the darkness as well as behind you, just waiting for you to turn around and see him.
Notice too that when God does this work in us, and as he did in Mary, he sent her back to the community to not keep it for herself. This inner transformation that leads to proclamation of God's work. And what do we make of Mary's weeping that sets her apart from what John and Peter did as they tried to make sense of everything that they were seeing and went home? We might interpret them as having given up, as having given in to the hopelessness of the situation. Whereas the angels and Jesus himself keeps asking Mary what she's weeping for, helping her to reach the point of true understanding what it is that's wrong. To not settle on the surface level that his body's gone, what else can we do? But to truly reach the depths of her heart and her soul and her mind to see what the bigger problem is. That not just his body, but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is gone. And when she is at that point, when she realizes that the one whom she has loved is truly, truly gone, that is when something new can rise. Because the Jesus that she knew from Thursday, the last time that she spent time with Jesus, the Jesus that she knew from Thursday, is not the same Jesus on Sunday morning. He is the risen one. And because she was looking for the old Jesus, she does not see the new that has come. Because what rises is different than what dies. And this is the key to transformation. The thing that we want when we set ourselves to hard things is usually not the thing that we actually get. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus until she is changed by Jesus. And this is a story that we know, that we've experienced in our lives. Those of us who have gone through some very hard times in our marriages know that you cannot go back to the honeymoon days because you are changed. Both of you are changed. Or as our children grow older and we have to deal with the fact that they are adults, What has to die is treating them like underage children. And what rises is a new way of relating. So often when I'm talking with people who are in grief, they say, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And yet they do. They continue to live And they find in themselves things that they did not know were there. But to get to those places, 
One has to let go of what you're looking for to receive what will rise. Craig Barnes is a Presbyterian minister and the president of Princeton Seminary. And he says this, What we long for, what we miss and beg God to give back, is dead. Easter doesn't change that. So we cannot cling to the hope that Jesus will take us back to the way it was. Until we discover a new vision of the Savior, a Savior who has risen out of our disappointments, we will never understand Easter. It's not about going back. It's about being empowered to go forward in the unshakable kingdom of God. And Barnes says this, Easter is about more hope than we can handle. More hope than we can handle. More hope than we could even set before us as our goal when we face these hard things. Easter is about the abundance of God, the risen one. Easter is about the God who did all of these things out of his great love for us, but does not meet what we want him to give us, but instead gives us what we need. Easter is about facing and letting die the things in ourselves that separate us from him and letting rise our union with Christ. Easter is about jumping headfirst into the more hope than we can handle. Easter is about understanding that the reaches of the resurrection go much further than the hope that we have for where we will end up when we die. More hope than we have for what will happen when we are reunited with those that we love that have lost. Easter is about everything in the world changing and being invited to change. Easter is about saying, where has my Lord gone? Jesus, show yourself to me. Easter is more hope than we can handle. But it will not crush us. It will not crush us. For the thing that is crushed is anything meant to destroy or hurt or end us. That is what's crushed. Instead, let us bathe in all of this hope that goes beyond our imagination And let us come to terms with how this resurrection story is already being played out in our lives. In your worship folder, there's a card that you're invited to use this week. In particular, because our time of sharing in the next Easter season is about the reaches of the resurrection. And the question is a simple one, but it's a profound one. How has this story of the truth of what happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, impacted or changed your life? 
What are the reaches of the resurrection in you? What has Jesus done? And how has he said your name to awaken in you your sense of belonging and calling? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm reminded of the song, You Make Beautiful Things Out of the Dust and the Clay, something that you have done from the beginning when everything was good and as it should be. And how you continue to do that work when it was not good and as it should be. How this resurrection story points us to our place in your story, both small and large. So we pray that you will make beautiful things of the new heaven and the new earth. And we look forward to seeing that. And we pray that you make beautiful things out of our lives. That we will have the courage of Mary Magdalene to weep and truly name what is deeply wrong inside of us. Holy Spirit, we know that you did help John and Peter and the other disciples to hear the good news, to be transformed, to understand, to finally believe what the women told them was true. So we pray that for those of us who have walked away from the places of darkness and death and uh, who know the things inside of us that need to die, we pray for those who entered the tomb but did not engage in the work of wondering, of seeking you. We pray that for them, for us, when this is our story, you will be the God who does not give up. That you will continue to look for your lost sheep. That you will continue to call us by our names until we find our rest and belonging in you. What a gift it is that your kingdom here on earth is full of daily dying and rising. What a gift it is that we give to the world when we rise in, in you to live as you have designed us to live. So Father, we pray that you continue to set Jesus before us as our guide And we pray that you continue to give us the blessing of your Holy Spirit to be God with us. That in our rising and in our dying, we will remember your ultimate act to draw all people to yourself, to proclaim the good news, to invite us to experience the power that you have to offer, the power that created all things, the power that saved the world, the power of our God who loves us and knows us by name, the power that welcomes us and at the same time sends us 
We praise you and we thank you. May we be people who live in the shadow of the empty tomb and are resurrected, Lord. Amen.